can't ride on my little red wagon. You can't ride on my little red wagon. Front seat's broken in the wicket, the wicket, the wicket, the wicket. <laughs> What's up, y'all? This is the Nick Bartlett Show. This is a Sports Pack 12 original. So don't forget it, y'all knuckleheads. If you didn't figure it out by the title, my name is Nick Bartlett. I'm the broadcast manager here at Sports Pack 12. I'm also a staff writer at Oregon Sports News. I've had my articles featured in the Seattle PI, 750 The Game, and Go Local PDX, and a bunch of other random media outlets and places and shenanigans and all like that. This is a sports show about Pac-12, current events, affairs, obviously the action of the field, and the conference in totality. Thank you for tuning in. If you're new to the show, if you've been here for a long time, eh, maybe thank you. Nah, nah, thank you for coming on. And without further ado, let's get to some Pac-12 action. Welcome back to the Nick Bartlett Show, everybody. And guess what? We are only one month away from March, which means hoop season is really starting to heat up. In today's episode, we are joined again by Sam Conan, who is a contributor at the Daily Bruin, Bruin Report, and at Dash Sports TV along with a couple of other publications as well. And today, he'll be giving you an in-depth look at UCLA basketball and what's propelled them to first place in the conference so far this season. And he'll get you all caught up on UCLA hoops before the Crosstown rivalry this Saturday. After that, I'll break down some other interesting matchups on the hardwood in the week of Pac-12 hoops. And as always, we'll end today's episode with Bartlett's random topic of the day. But for now, I'll kick it down to L.A. where Sam will get us started. Hey, Nick. Thanks for inviting me on again. I always enjoy talking Bruins basketball with you. So UCLA men's basketball sitting at 13-3 and now uh, as January turns to February. You know, they were the preseason pick in the media poll to win the conference, but still a pretty surprising season the way it's turned out so far. Uh, 8-0 start in conference and turned to 9-1 and after a loss to Stanford and and then a win against Oregon State after that. But all of that is without Chris Smith, the guard forward, the team's only senior preseason award, favorite, finalist, whatever it is. He was going to be the Bruins' go-to guy all year. He was okay through non-conference play, and then right at the start of conference play, tears his ACL, done for the year. And a lot of people at that point had kind of lost hope in this UCLA team. They were playing pretty well, but they had lost to San Diego State. They lost to Ohio State. Uh, they had beat Marquette, but still, they had really only taken advantage of a, a relatively easy schedule in, in the, the rest of non-conference, and they hadn't been able to, the, to close out those big games besides that Marquette matchup. And then conference play rolls around. Chris Smith goes down, and this team explodes. They were on fire. But the weird thing is, they weren't blowing teams out. Almost every game that UCLA has played in conference play has been a very close game, a one, two possession game. The only game that wasn't, that didn't end in a single digit deficit was a 30 point win over Washington State. All the other ones, you had overtime games against Arizona State and Stanford. You had a five point win at Arizona, three point win against Colorado, whatever it is. These are all close games. And the the way that UCLA has been doing it has been with a balanced team mentality. And that's the way Coach McCronin wants it. He doesn't want 
a go-to guy who scores 18 a night. He would like it, I'm sure. But that's not the way this team is built. It's not the way the roster is built. And he's doing the absolute best with his roster, and he knows how it works, how it should work, and he's turning it into wins. And the most important player to that mentality, to that game plan, that style of team basketball, do it all, contribute every night, but no go-to guy. The the real captain of that, I would say, is Tiger Campbell. He is is kind of had tough shooting nights here and there, but he's still the team's third leading scorer behind Jaime Jaquez and Johnny Juzang. Uh, and he's he's been able to put the ball in the basket. He has some decent moves on offense when he's running the pick and roll as the ball handler. He has got he's got a pretty good floater. He's really developed his pull up jumper, and that's been nice to see after. Last year, he really wasn't much of a threat with the ball in his hands. Still, though, he is most effective as a distributor. He is the only guy on this team who averages more than two assists a game. I mean, outside of Tiger Campbell, the next leading assister is Cody Riley at 1.4, or Johnny Juzang at 1.4 per game. So they really need him to be a game manager, a distributor, a, a real captain on the offensive side of the ball, and he's done that. And there's a reason that UCLA has a, a top 10 ranked Ken Palm offense. It's because of Tiger Campbell. He's got 6.1 assists per game, and that's to go along with only 1.9 turnovers per game. That's that's really what you want to see from him. That's as many as Cody Riley. you got a big man versus Tiger Campbell, who has the ball in his hands for 33 minutes a game pretty much. So the way that he's taken care of the ball and distributed it and gotten better as a shooter and a driver and a finisher is really the reason UCLA is where it is. The the Bruins, I mean, they don't have anyone scoring more than 12.5 points per game at this point. So when you have that kind of offense, you need to be able to pass it around and really balance the offense. And without Tiger Campbell, that's not possible. Cody Riley's good in the post. Jules Bernard has certainly improved this year. And, and Jaime Hawkins is a good slasher and... Johnny Juzang's a good shooter, but they're, I don't want to say specialists, but they have their own roles, and they're not always able to create their own shots. Tiger Campbell creates shots for his teammates, and that is the reason UCLA has a prolific offense this far into the season. They're averaging 75 points per game. It's not world-breaking numbers, but, I mean, it is what it is. They, they run a very slow, methodical offense, one of the slowest-paced teams in the country, and they still have some of the probably the it's fifth in points per game in the Pac-12 but one of the more efficient offenses in the Pac-12 they have the best three-point percentage the uh, fourth best field goal percentage second best free throw percentage they're they're shooting the ball decently well and that's because Tiger Campbell is able to pass the ball around get his teammates open shots run the pick and roll really efficiently either with Hill or Riley and he can create his own shot for himself. That's the reason UCLA is 13-3 and three, and at this point is the favorite to win the Pac-12. He has had his off games, though, and he's not stellar on defense. So who else is there to, to pick up the slack? I, I brought up Jaime Jaquez. I really love what I've seen from him so far this year. He's the team's leading scorer, uh, and that's not even as they're leading shot taker. I mean, Tyre Campbell takes more shots. Johnny Juzang takes more shots. But Jaime Hawkins is the leading scorer because he's shooting 
47% from the field, 40% from the, from three. He needs to work on his free throws, had some issues against Pepperdine, and even recently against Oregon State, but still 12.5 points per game, shooting on nine and a half attempts, that's pretty good. I, I am okay with that. And a, a small forward, power forward like him who gets six rebounds a game, you love to see it. It's what Mick Cronin loves to see. But altogether, it's his really ferocity, his defense, 1.2 steals per game. It co-leads the team with Tyre Campbell. 0.6 blocks per game is second behind Jalen Hill. He gets more, Jaime Hawkins gets more blocks per game than Cody Riley. He's all over the court. He hustles. He dives for balls. He's switches. He can take on bigger guys. He can guard, I would say, one through five. He's the one guy on this team who can guard one through five. You had Chris Smith, who could do that earlier in the year, and you hoped he would be able to do so in conference play, but because of the injury, couldn't happen. Mick Cronin thought he'd have two guys, two wings who could guard one through five, and that's awesome. But now he's down to one with Smith out, and Jaime Hawkins is not disappointed. He's only a sophomore this year. He's playing 35 minutes per game. Mick Cronin at every opportunity will say he wants to play him less. But I think Jaime Hawkins playing a lot of minutes is exactly what this team needs. He's not the kind of guy who will shoot the ball every time he gets it. He'll take open threes. He'll drive. He'll, he'll do what he can to get a shot. But he's really just a team player. He embodies the whole personality that UCLA has going on right now. It's, it's a very different UCLA team. You're Go back to the Steve Alford years, and, and even a little bit before that, too, in the, the final four years in the mid-2000s, it was very star-oriented. You had Lonzo Ball, who was surrounded by T.J. Leaf and, and Aaron Holiday, Isaac Hamilton, good players, but you had Lonzo Ball was a, a superstar. Before that, you had Shabazz Muhammad was a superstar. You had Kevin Love and Russell Westbrook. You had these NBA players, these five-star recruits, these guys who are getting national attention, that's not really the way this team has played, and I don't think they will for the rest of the season. I don't think there's going to be a guy on this team who separates himself and scoring 16, 17 points per game, Pac-12 player of the year, or, or top 10 pick. There's not really anyone in this roster who, who does that. It's mostly three- or four-year guys. I mean, Cody, Riley, and Jalen Hill, this is their fourth year here. They obviously didn't play their freshman year because of suspensions, but that's their fourth year here. Jaime Hawkins is, he, he's a sophomore. Jake Kyman's a sophomore. You have Bernard and Singleton are juniors. Jalen Clark is getting a little bit of time as a freshman, but there's no one and dones on this team. And I think that's what Mick Cronin wants. I, he would, he would love to have a one and done guy. Like maybe Peyton Watson next year could be a one and done guy. Five star coming in from Long Beach Poly, but it's really just the the mentality and the mindset of team basketball. It's really old-fashioned. It, it's Cronin kind of ran a similar style at Cincinnati. You didn't see too many top 10 picks coming out of Cincinnati, even though they were in the tournament every year. They were knocking on the door 30 wins a lot. They made the Sweet 16 a couple times. But uh, Cronin took that Cincinnati mentality, that Midwest grinded-out team basketball mindset and brought it to Westwood. It's new. It's not what Steve Alford did. Uh, and even Ben Howland, who was a good coach and went to three Final Fours, it's not really what he did either. So Mick Cronin is a different type of coach. It's the second year here, and UCLA has succeeded because of that. They had that crazy stretch at the end of last year. They almost were, were co-Pac-12 champions with Oregon. Had they not lost on a buzzer beater at USC? But really, they started 8-0 this year in conference play. They're 9-1. 
They ended last year, I think it was eight and one in conference play. So it's the, the most recent Pac-12 games, and those are the ones that matter for UCLA. Those are the ones that move you up the conference standings, that get you a better seed in the conference tournament, that get you a lot of respect when you're playing Power Five teams twice a year. He's winning those games, and he's doing it by getting everyone involved. It's Jaime Jaquez. He can go off for 18 points one day and have a, a double-double with three steals. Or Tiger Campbell can put up 10 assists in a game. Uh, Jalen Hill can get a few blocks. Cody Riley can dominate in the post if, if he wants to and he gets the right matchup. Johnny Juzang, like he did against Stanford, he absolutely exploded. He had, what was it, 27 points? He had 22 straight points for UCLA. When no one else could get a bucket, they fed Johnny Juzang. He was on fire. That's what this team needs. They can't rely on Johnny Juzang to do that every game. Not because he can't, but because that's not what they want to do when they run this offense. He's not a great defender, so you know what? Maybe he just plays offense sometimes. At the end of games, he's in the offensive lineup, and who is it? Someone else comes in for the defensive lineup, whether it's Singleton or Bernard. or, or, or Honestly, even Jalen Clark, a freshman, has been a pretty good defender. I think this team thrives because of the way that it fits Mick Cronin's style. It fits his system his defense first system, even though they're not a very great defensive team, they're somewhere in the 80s or 90s in Kempom for defense, but still, they have a defensive mindset, a defensive mentality that really helps Jalen Hill get on the floor more than Cody Riley sometimes in a second half, or it helps Jalen Clark get some well-deserved playing time in, in meaningful games. So whatever it is, this team is rolling on on all cylinders right now. But still, they have some tough games coming up. Oregon's have to cancel games. They're going to have to play them eventually. USC's coming up this weekend. They'll have to play them at the end of the year too. It's going to be tough. It's going to be a challenge to see how UCLA stacks up against teams that do have five-star talent, that do have future NBA players. And we'll see if this Cronin team basketball spread it around mindset works in those games. And Honestly, I think it will. UCLA is the favorite to win the Pac-12, and for good reason. They're probably going to be a 4-5 seed in, the, uh, in March Madness, and they should be. They can beat any team, but at the same time, they can lose to every team. They play so many close games, you never know what's going to happen. They're going to give you a heart attack every other night, but that's okay. This is the kind of basketball you want to watch if you're a UCLA fan, as stressful as it is. They win, they play well, they play as a team, and you're just going to have to accept the results that come out of that. Whatever it is, it's still better than what was going on at the end of Steve Alford's regime here in Westwood. Give it back to you, Nick. Thanks for having me on. All right, cool. Thank you, Sam, for your analysis, and good luck to your Bruins on Saturday. Staying in L.A. here, I'll give you a quick breakdown of the Trojans heading into the Crosstown rivalry. And for me, this game is going to come down to two factors— Maybe two players, not two factors would be a better way to phrase it. But either way, the first player is going to be, can Taj Edie step up and get himself going early, taking pressure off of USC's Evan Mobley? If USC's Edie can take advantage of Tiger Campbell on the defensive end of the court, it will be a huge, huge bonus for the Trojans. He's coming off an outing where he hit two key buckets down the stretch to close out Stanford on Tuesday night. And it should really prove interesting to see if he can carry this momentum into this rivalry matchup. The next factor should be 
very, very obvious, and that's USC's Evan Mobley. Plain and simple, he probably definitely has the most potential out of any player on the floor, and this is really his game to dominate. With the early season injury to Chris Smith, as Sam touched on, Mobley is the only true car, the only true star on the court. Maybe he's the only car on the court as well, but uh, the only true star on the court. And this is really his opportunity to showcase his abilities. He's coming off a balanced offensive performance on Tuesday, in which he made a three-pointer, hit some mid-range jumpers, and added a couple of dunks. Against the Cardinal, he finished with 23 points, 11 rebounds, and two blocks. And if USC is going to win, he needs another performance similar of this caliber. His ability to affect the game on both sides of the court is actually going to be the reason that I picked the Trojans to win this game. Sorry, Sam, but Evan Mobley is an absolute beast. There's a reason he's a projected top five pick in the upcoming NBA draft. However, besides for the Battle of LA, there are actually a couple of other interesting contests this week, which we'll briefly touch on here. The first of these matchups is going to be Colorado versus Arizona. The main thing to watch in this game is how will the Buffs bounce back after a tough loss to their rival Utah. I believe that was their last game. I I may have forgotten to double check that, but I believe their last game was a tough loss to rival Utah. And while many people may think of this team as a lock for the NCAA tourney, after their upset at the hands of the Utes, they've actually fallen to number 10 seed. That was in... One projection I saw, maybe a little bit higher in other projections, but either way, that loss now makes this game against the Cats absolutely pivotal. No one wants to be in the bubble come tournament time you'd rather be in. For UA, they're trying to continue playing their role as spoiler this year with their obvious postseason tournament ban, and there may be no better chance to play a spoiler than knocking off the buffs. For me and UA, it's hard to bet on this team, especially considering we don't know if Benedict Matherin's ankle is 100%. I'm picking CU to bounce back behind the amazing leadership of McKinley Wright. While losing to a rival is never fun, never, never fun, they do have the perfect general to get them back on track, so I'm picking Colorado in a close one. Another game to watch out for is WSU versus Oregon, and the only reason this is a game to watch out for is because it's going to be pretty cool to see the Ducks back on the hardwood. It should prove interesting to see how UO comes out after losing, or excuse me, have, after having five of their last six games canceled. And as for analysis, your guess is pretty much as good as mine. But bottom line is it's an awesome opportunity for these kids to get back on the court and simply play ball. If I had to pick or make some sort of guess, I'm thinking that Chris Duarte finds a way to will his team to victory over the less athletic Cougs. I do not know if any sort of lengthy hiatus can mess up his frozen yogurt smooth jumper. Duarte is shooting 45.6% from beyond the arc this year. Real threat for the Ducks. As for WSU, they'll try and build off the momentum over their win over their rival Washington their last outing. Isaac Bonton will likely have to make a couple of tough shots to pull off the upset. But for me, even with the hiatus, I'm thinking Oregon knows that an NCAA tournament berth is at stake here and wins comfortably, not easily, but comfortably all the same at home. All right, guys, that's actually going to do it for my basketball coverage today, which brings me to Bartlett's Random Topic of the Day, and I'm excited because I get to talk about my hometown of Shoreline, Washington. 
Yeah, my, my, I love this place. I love it. It is pure love for Shoreline, baby. Hometown. It is the first suburb north of Seattle, literally. And none of that 15-minute, I'm from Seattle, drive away from Seattle type crap. My high school was two blocks from the Seattle city limits. Literally touching Seattle. You know what I'm saying? Shoreline and Seattle touch. So no 15-minute drive. The first suburb north of Seattle. If you're looking for me, you know where to find me. <laughs> but seriously... There, there's many, many reasons why I love this place. As I stated, definitely just a pure love, pure, pure, pure love. But actual kind of logistical reasons here. It's extremely diverse. Seriously, you see people of all ethnicities, economic backgrounds, and it's just like not thought of. People just kind of collaborate. You know, in other places in society, you may see people separated by race, maybe unconsciously even, but here in Shoreline, it's not like that, bro. Like, I grew up with like kids like Jimmy Tongalai and Moosey Give It to Michael, and these are real names, you know what I'm saying? I just grew up with these kids, and it's not thought of. It just, you're friends, you know what I mean? And I don't know if it's like that everywhere, and that doesn't make any place worse or better, but I just love that I was able to grow up with people from all different backgrounds, and I, I just love that element of Shoreline. It, it's always been like that, and it's just fire. It is pure fire. Another reason I absolutely love it, kind of playing on the, the diversity aspect here, as I touched on a little bit earlier, it's definitely not a wide disparity economically because it's not as in your face as maybe other places, but I grew up down the street from some housing projects, and this is Seattle, y'all. Seattle, like, they're not like what you would probably think of in the movie. They're actually pretty nice like <laughs> my friends used to live down there I used to hoop down there all the time at Ballinger Homes man they have some great great basketball games but they have a freaking double rim that's hard to make it on you know those damn double rims are just so impossible but again just really cool obviously it is low income housing just showing kind of the disparity and then on the other side a couple blocks that were like five blocks the other way I have an ex-girlfriend who was a million dollar house and I just love that man it, it just it's just really cool to see. And again, it's just not in your face. It's not really thought of. We just kind of grow up together. We actually got, my high school got most spirited school in the nation the year I graduated. It's just something like that. Show on love. It feels extremely balanced. It's very accepting. And it's chill. It's just like that place that if you drive through, you probably wouldn't think about it twice because it's not like extra nice. It's not like extra ghetto. It's just like a place like, when people in Seattle talk about Shoreline, oh yeah, you know, like Shoreline, like whatever. And I love that. It's just like an afterthought. And it's so fire. It's so beautiful, man. <laughs> it's beautiful. And is there another reason I love Shoreline? Oh yeah, uh, there's one final reason. So like I said, it really is your everyday suburb, but not some cookie cutter suburb where everything looks the same. It's very, very different in that short. But at the same time, it is everyday suburb. Get this straight. But there is a hint of not everyday suburb there may be a couple of people where it's like you probably should respect keep your distance don't be talking to some ish you know what i'm saying like, and that balance is just amazing it's humbling and i'm so grateful to be from a place like shoreline i could talk for a while about my hometown just pure love and that's what it is it's just you feel it in every direction it's just a loving place a loving community and i love me the north side 206 baby shoreline all right guys that's going to do it for Bartlett's Random Topic of the Day. And now it's time to conclude and summarize today's episode. Sam came back on the show and started off our show with an in-depth analysis 
of the UCLA Bruins heading into the Crosstown Rivalry. I then previewed the Battle of LA along with two other matchups this week. And we briefly also touched on how it should be very exciting to see the Ducks back in action. Very happy for those kids. Chris Duarte is a heck of a player. And as always, as always, uh, we ended today's show with Bartlett's Random Topic of the Day, in which I broke down my hometown of Shoreline, Washington. Northside206, you know where to find me. If you would like to follow Sam, his Twitter handle is at S-A-M-C-O-N-N-O-N. Again, that handle is at S-A-M-C-O-N-N-O-N. As for me, thank you for tuning in as always. You already know I'm a hooper out there. I love watching basketball, baby. So March is almost here. March is almost here. I'm very freaking excited. And I'm out, ladies and gentlemen. Cheetos and tuna.